Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning, everyone. This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, He went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christina. Before I begin, I want to make sure that we all know about something we're doing during this season of Advent. We have daily prompts that we're sending out to our community that are following the theme of each of our sermons that we're doing. And uh, so you get this texted to you every morning. You do so by texting the word uh, 2023 Advent to the number 97,000. And every morning we get these prompts. Uh, and this week, for instance, we these prompts were around prayer, about using our, our embodiment to be a way in which we are connecting with Christ. And so as a church, we're practice-based. That means we don't just get together and hear messages and go off and live our life, but we try to take what we're learning into our daily habits and rhythms. And so make sure to sign up for that if you want to participate in it. So last week, we prematurely kicked off the Advent season. Advent actually starts today, but since we're missing a Sunday, we said, you know what, let's just change things a little bit, and I think we've asked for forgiveness in case that offended God. I think God's okay with it, though. And so last week, we began this series, and we talked about what does it mean that Jesus came to us embodied? We have this belief, especially in the season of Advent, that Christ came to us not just to save us from it, like as this exterior power, but Jesus came to us like me and you, in flesh and in blood. And what that conviction holds is something really, really profound and powerful, is that our bodies are not just a shell for our soul, not just a vehicle for our soul, but our bodies really matter. There's value in just being an embodied person, and there's this beautiful mystery, but it's also through our bodies that we can have communion with Christ, our embodied Savior. So this week, we're going to consider a different aspect of what does it mean Uh, to go through the human experience, and this week we're going to talk about our emotions. When you stop and think about it, our emotions are a little bit weird, aren't they? When was the last time you stopped and thought about what does it mean 
to be emotional? Where do these come from, these intangible inner experiences that vary but are very, very potent? I think that's why, in part, we loved this movie as adults. We loved this movie right here because uh, Inside Out, what it did is it kind of popped the hood open in us, and it made us think about our own personhood, about the different emotions that drive us and fuel us and how they interact oftentimes. Though it's hard to put a finger on our emotions, we all know this truth, though, that they are all very powerful. What causes our blood to turn cold when we watch a movie in the very final scene, we figure out that that character was dead all along? You know, like, why is it that uh, we are given to fits of rage on I-35? What causes someone to laugh so hard that they pee themselves? What causes someone to take the wheelchair from a grandmother at a wedding and take it to the dance floor? What would ever cause someone to do that? Someone so talented and photogenic. (laughs) Emotions, that's what does it. Joy and delight and sorrow and anger and fear and despair. It's all in us like it's just this muddled mix within us. It's all in me and in you. And they were in Jesus. Our embodied Savior was an emotional God. If you were to read the Bible, you would find stories of God, depictions of God, not as some stoic force, but God as an emotional being, if I can use that word, that God displayed emotional states. He was not, God was not unaffected, God responded with emotions. Furthermore, if you read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, you will find Jesus on Along that spectrum of all emotions, Jesus would be found at a wedding, keeping the party going with Pino. We find Jesus weeping outside of a friend's tomb. We find Jesus angered, deeply angered by the hollow religion that the Pharisees held and flipping tables over in the temple. We find Jesus so filled with anxiety at the Garden of Gethsemane that he's sweating blood. He's just so emotionally distraught. And yet, Jesus never sinned. Even in all these emotions, Jesus led a pure and righteous life. Even when you think of the stories around Jesus' birth, as we are doing in this season of Advent, all these stories of Jesus' incarnation, they released all sorts of emotions within people. The joy of the shepherds, the fear of Herod, the faithful anxiety of Mary, the assumable confusion that Joseph held, the delight of the owner of the stable where Jesus was born. This owner knew that tourists for generations could visit this actual place. Now, there's four places there, but there's one place, guys, and that, you know, it's a cash cow. That's the real manger. They're on Fifth Street, right across the street from the Starbucks. It's right there. Just so much joy in that, right? Yet there's one story for me in particular that just shares how Jesus' advent, his arrival, release some powerful emotions. The story, as we just read, was in Luke chapter 2, a story about Simeon and a story about, in part, Mary. And Simeon was beholding some deep emotions. As we read, this is in, in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Simeon received a gift, a promise from God that his eyes would be able to see the promised Savior of the world, the one which Israel had waited for and waited for. And as we know as a theme of Advent, Simeon had to learn to sit with his feelings. There is a gap between the promise and the revelation. And oftentimes in our, in our experience, there are gaps between what we have within us, these longings, and ever seeing them come to fruition. And that gap can be a really, really big challenge for us. But what Simeon displays is what it means to wait on God. We have a problem with waiting, don't we? There's like two different kinds of waiting I see. There's, there's the passive waiting, and then there's a waiting that's like really active. The passive waiting is what we can see at the DMV, you know, or hospital rooms, which they call waiting rooms, which is really not waiting rooms. It's more like rooms to get on your phone, right? This passive waiting is just a, a collection of people just trying to waste time, get through that, to kill the boredom by whatever they have, including Candy Crush, or looking up uh, old flames from high school and just curious what they look like now on Instagram. You know, just what else am I going to do with this time, right? But there's a different kind of waiting. It's the waiting of a child who every single day asks, how many more days till Christmas? And when I say every single day, I mean every single day. This kind of waiting doesn't just impatiently fill the void and try to, to, to distract himself. This kind of waiting actually presses into it. This waiting holds the longing and feels it, like feels it, the anticipation of what's to come, all the emotions that are wrapped into it. This kind of waiting embraces the emotions of waiting. And instead of killing time, these people deeply feel it. As modern people, we are really, really bad at waiting. Our collective inability to wait well is compounded as we slip further and further into the digital age that we live in. Because we live in the world of next day delivery and instantaneous access to whatever we want. And for us to sit with our longings is like a discipline. It's like a muscle that we are ill-equipped to use. But here we are with Simeon, this example of someone who's faithful in his waiting. He held on to this longing and the emotional reality of a Savior that was promised to come. Imagine with me the difficulty of this. Imagine me with me, Simeon's life. Each time a Roman soldier oppressed an innocent Hebrew... Every single time, there's this tinge of sadness with Simeon where he might have said to God, why not today? Today would have been a good day for the Savior to come. Each time Simeon experienced the hollowness of religion at the hands of the Pharisees, perhaps Simeon could have prayed, Savior, you could have showed them what it's really about. As loved ones fell ill and died, Simeon might have hoped for the one who could make it all healed and whole. How about right now? Imagine, if you will, Simeon holding these emotions and not stuffing them away or turning them off, but actually waiting before God. Perhaps what Simeon knew is something that we must learn to understand. As a a pastor friend has said recently, Advent isn't meant to reveal how faithless we are at our waiting as much as how faithful Christ is at arriving. And Jesus did arrive. His arrival took place in the most least expected place, least expected time. Simeon's long obedience in the same direction one day 
would lead him to the temple when the same Holy Spirit that implanted this promise in him then nudged him by saying, today's your day, Simeon. Go to the temple. You're going to find your Savior. I love to imagine, you can join me with this, I love to imagine Simeon's eyes around that temple, his eyes darting around with which of these people would be the Savior. Was it the powerful one over there? Was it the person who is a big influencer with a big following? This person over here has affluence. They have wealth, a, a big standing. And instead, this young couple comes in, and they are carrying with them two young pigeons. Now, this is loss on us because we don't know the Hebrew text as well as the people in Jesus' day. But when parents would come and to, to, to dedicate their child, they were told to bring their sacrifice. But if they couldn't afford it, then there's like this clause that said, if you can't afford the right sacrifice, then you can bring two young pigeons. And so, that's what Jesus' parents, y'all. They are bringing to God two things, a poor person's offering, and in the other hand, the Savior of the world, holding them in hand in hand. So these parents are bringing these two things to God. In verse 27, when the parents brought the child to Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, like beholding Jesus. Think of how powerful this moment was for Simeon, how he had waited and waited potentially for years. We don't know how long, but he waited for God to make good on the promise that Simeon would one day gaze upon the Savior. Was that cruel of God to make him wait? Was it cruel of God to promise something and then have time stack up? No, in fact, what we find is that Simeon's time of waiting was actually creating capacity, creating creating more and more room for Simeon's eventual joy. If Simeon found out that day, that day that he was going to see the Savior, think of how much smaller his joy would have been. But because he had waited and pressed in to this promise that one day he would behold the Savior, his joy was immense. Simeon's time of waiting created this capacity, made room for great joy, so much so that he broke into song. I love it when the Bible turns into musical, you know? I'm not sure how you feel about musicals, where you're watching a movie, you're like, oh, it's a musical all of a sudden, I didn't know that. But here we find a musical. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. Simeon's life now is complete. Like that capacity of waiting now is filled to the brim. He is physically beholding Jesus He is beholding, in his words, sheer joy. He is holding salvation, a light for the world, God's glory. And for Mary and Joseph, they joyfully marveled at what Simeon had said. Think of the confirmation that this would be. Some stranger declares over your child what you had heard in private by an angel. And before moving on, before this scene is over with, maybe we would want it to be over with, but Simeon's not done Simeon had a blessing that he wanted to give Mary. Simeon said, This child is destined to cause the rising, sorry, the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of 
many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon, is that really a blessing? <laughs> that doesn't really sound like what... I mean, notice this, notice this, that, that it, this is the end of the scene. Like the scripture, if you were to continue to read, like it's over with, mic drop, Simeon's out. But can you imagine if I gave that kind of blessing to Susan just a second ago at this baptism? Just a couple of minutes after his baptize, baptism for me to look at Susan and go, Susan, I have a blessing for you. Pepito is going to be really divisive. Someone's, some are going to love him, but most are just going to hate him. Oh, and he's going to shatter your hearts as well into a million pieces. May God bless you. I mean, this doesn't sit right, right? But what Simeon is doing here in many ways is passing off this baton to Mary. His long-awaited promise from God is now complete. And today, Mary begins her long journey to behold this promise from God. And think of all the emotions that Mary would have had in this moment, the thrill and delight of hearing someone declare over their child that Jesus would be the Savior this, this world has longed for. But this is going to be really, really, really painful. This journey is going to feel like a sword is going to go through your soul. Simeon's advent had finished this day, and Mary's has just begun again. Simeon's promise would come true, that Jesus would reveal What's in the heart of all people? He will cause the rising and the falling of many. And to be honest, a life with Jesus sometimes for me feels a lot, a lot of days of rising and a lot of days of falling in my own heart. We want to be promised that a life with God is perpetual days of bliss where we're prepared to experience nothing but delight and joy with the chart trending up and to the right. But a life with Jesus will include sadness Anxiety and sorrow too. This is what our Savior experienced as well. This is just a part of being human. This conversation is important, I believe, because tragically often, our emotional life is not included in our view of discipleship, or another way of saying like our life with Jesus. We often don't include our emotional reality. Um, we think of our formation of Jesus being mostly mental, like, I just got to learn the right things, the right Bible verses, or I need to learn this aspect over here. But becoming more and more like our Savior, which is about this life, about spiritual formation, becoming more and more like Jesus is also becoming a healthier emotional person. And this oftentimes is a missing piece to our transformation. We might teach the Bible, but we don't know how to handle our sorrow. We might be trained in systematic theology where all the different building blocks fit together, but inwardly we're bitter and we're cruel. We're not taught how to bring our emotions into the light of Christ. Become, becoming more healthy and whole will include all of us, every bit of us, and that includes our emotional reality as well. This has been a big part of my own journey. I have a challenging relationship with emotions I'm not going to look at Jen right now because I know she could be nodding her head. Yes. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 7. So for those who know the Enneagram, that means like I easily embrace joy and delight and adventure. Like it is fine. The world is magic. It's all for us. I mean, do you remember this pic? This is me after I officiated their wedding. Like it's, this is me. That's me as a pastor. So it's really easy for me to feel joy uh, but what's really hard for me is to experience 
sorrow or anger or disappointment. Like it's just not a part of my personal makeup. And if I think if I'm going to be more honest, it's also that inability is also a byproduct of my Christian culture, in which I grew up, which I've been a part of even as a young man. For instance, I was taught from Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is de- deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Misapplying this text in my life, I was taught that the heart, the emotional center of my being, is wicked. It's not to be trusted. It's beyond cure. So therefore, I need to reject that and not actually bring it to the light of Christ. Why? Because it's beyond cure. It will always be broken. And as I heard recently of this memoirist, Jedediah Jenkins, say recently, he said that kind of teaching of that particular verse has wreaked havoc and caused so much harm for many people who grew up in Christianity. That's true in my experience as well. Because I, I was part of this community that sadly conflated being emotional with weakness and immaturity. And this is especially the case in toxic masculinity that's cloaked as Christianity. To be a man means to be stoic. And unmovable. I can't tell you how many times I prayed that God make, would make me less emotional. I wanted to be like, like a different version of myself, steady, dependable, like a rock. Uh, and this became especially clear to me as a parent, and, and particularly a parent of a boy. So God, give, God gave me a tender-hearted boy, uh, sensitive and feels super big. And I found myself parenting him differently than I would parent my daughters. I would criticize him for crying or being frustrated. Um, And I would say the sad cliches that just come out so easily, which is big boys don't cry about things like that. And any guess what happens? Did the tears stop? No, the tears were just reserved for the closet or under the table. And shame was introduced. So now instead of crying with me, he would hide. And I quickly realized I'm just passing on a wound. I'm just like passing on venom. And I realized very quickly as I found him one day hiding, trying to hide his emotions, ashamed of being emotional, that I needed to do a total 180. And I started to tell him stuff like, hey, no, 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 it's okay to cry. I cry all the time. Maybe don't cry when your banana's broken in half. Like maybe there are other things you can cry about. But I cry all the time, especially at church when the sermon isn't going well and I just have to manipulate everyone. And Jack, it works every time. They are so stupid. I'm sorry. Uh, But there are many of us who um, have similar responses with our emotions. Maybe we haven't learned to hide in a closet, trying not to cry, but maybe we've gotten really good at stuffing down our sorrow. We've learned to self-medicate, whether through a substance or devices or just being busy. We've learned ways of just not feeling. And friends, in doing so, we lose part of our humanity, part of our Imago Dei, the way in which God created you. And to be honest, what we know is our emotions don't go away. We're really, it's like impossible what we're trying to do. The body keeps the score, as we now know, and unrecognized emotions just splinter within us and undercuts our ability to heal fully. And in the same way that Simeon's willingness to faithfully wait created capacity to experience joy and hope, 
our willingness to be able to take our emotions, to be honest with them, and bring them to the light of Christ creates capacity to experience the transforming power of our embodied and emotional Savior, Jesus. By learning to hide, suffocate, and drown out every emotion, we undercut our ability to be transformed. And instead of numbing out or stuffing our emotions down, what if God made us emotional for a different reason? What if there's, like, instead of our emotions being deceitful and broken, what if there's goodness in being an emotional person just like Jesus was? What if our emotions are kind of like bids for our attention, flashing arrows for us to investigate further? Instead of rejecting our sadness or sorrow, what if we use them as indications that there's something beneath the surface There's something in the surface that needs our gentle attention. If our emotions are signals, what if we can feel them and honor them without having them master us? What if we can learn to just see them as bids of attention for us to go further? I know there's been times in my life where I've looked down and I've seen my hand shake. And rather going, oh, this is weird. For me, I've learned to go, what is going on inside of me? And furthermore, to take that to the light of Jesus going, Christ, can you help me discern why am I so anxious in this moment? What's fueling the sadness or this anger or this anxiety? And to do so in conversation with Jesus too. Rather than denying our emotional embodiment in this season, we're going to allow our embodiment to be a way for us to connect with our embodied and emotional Savior. God's work for you is to not make you a stoic, to not make you a rock, Jesus wants to bring you into the fullness of healing and restoration, and that includes your emotions. I am so grateful that God lovingly ignored every prayer that I said to make me less emotional. Good night. Um, Because I know I wouldn't be the person I am today if, if God answered that prayer. And what I've also learned is my emotional, like being, is also my superpower, And so it is with you. This is how God created you to be. Furthermore, and maybe most importantly, it wouldn't make me more Christ-like to be unemotional. For Jesus was embodied with all the emotions that's part of being human, and those emotions blessed and changed this world. That's how God desired to transform this world through an embodied and emotional Jesus who was stirred, who was affected by the reality all around him. And he met this world with his emotions, with his compassion and frustration and anxiety to show us that we are not alone and we are not broken in feeling. So this week, we're going to honor our emotional embodiment. So we created these matchbooks. Would you mind grabbing a matchbook real quick? Thank you, Ron. We have matchbooks for you all to grab on the way out. And our encouragement would be every day in this week to take that matchbook, to light a candle, remembering the light of Christ that's with us, and for us to review what's going on inside of me. If I'm going to review my day, what emotions have been stirred up? When I look back at my day, where does sorrow, anger, or delight, 
Where did that emerge within me? And what is that telling me about my life in the healing power of Jesus? Some people call this the prayer of examine. This is where we take our experiences and bring them into the light of Christ and have conversations with the Spirit of Jesus as we examine our life and our days. And the reality is when we do this, when we review our days with Jesus, we consider how our inner world is teaching us how we can be healed and whole again to wait before the Spirit of Jesus as we prepare room for Jesus to heal us. So in this season, I hope and pray that we learn from Simeon and Mary in the beauty and the power of taking our emotions and our longings to God who is faithful in his promise to be with us. For Jesus is on his way and he promises to bring us in the fullness of joy with him if we can prepare him room. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.